However, when it came to informing my clients that the, the programs weren't going to go ahead and that they should contact their insurers, um, they got quite nasty quite quickly, which was difficult for me to navigate. I'm not used to people being nasty to me. And that turned into quite a long process, which involved me having to get an Italian lawyer involved, um, a huge amount of money that I didn't have at that precise moment to, to pay for a lawyer, but I didn't have a choice. It was very it was a very threatening situation, and one I wasn't anticipating. I had some incredibly abusive um, messages and emails and people hounding me. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of How Not to Run a Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, and I hope you're doing very well today. I have a very exciting episode. I seem to say that every time, but they're all very exciting. Well, I think they're very exciting. I hope you agree. So I sat down with my friend Lee Otterson Water, and I met Lee at a networking event this year, and we instantly hit it off. One of the reasons was that we both closed our businesses in 2021 due to COVID. So Lee had a successful business in the travel industry and she was living the dream until COVID hit. And as two people that have closed their businesses at the same time, we sat down to have a conversation about her experience. Now, we talked a lot. We covered a lot of ground about her journey into entrepreneurship. So Lee is such a wonderful human being. I really, really enjoyed sitting down and having a conversation with her. She's got three kids and a husband, and that in itself presents a whole host of challenges, particularly when you're trying to run a business. And for me, this was such a great conversation because those people you meet in life where you think, you're my person, I want to hang out with you, I love her approach to business, to life. We talk about all of that in this episode. And then we talk about her closing her business and what that meant to her. And she was very generous with her time and her honesty and her vulnerability about what that meant to her, what was running in the background, something that, in my experience, not a lot of people talk about. So it was a really insightful conversation. And we also discussed her view on success and failure. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did recording it. So now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy. So welcome, Lee, to your very first podcast recording. Thank you very much. So we met only a few weeks ago at um, a networking event, and I'd love you to tell my audience who, who you are, um, a, a bit of a, your background um, about yourself, because you ran your own business. I'll give you a little teaser. Uh, you ran your own business for 10 years, and um, I'd love to understand your journey of what you were doing before you started your business and how you got into uh, being an entrepreneur and business owner. I'll start from the beginning. So I, um, I grew up in South Africa. I was born there and I lived there until I was 19 years old. My parents were immigrants. They were, uh, they were, they came from poor, poor stock, the poor working class background from the northeast of England, and they originally were 10 pound poms. So they moved over to Australia in the 60s with my brothers, and then over to South Africa in the 70s. So growing up, we didn't have a lot ever. And life was really difficult for us. My dad worked really hard. He was a builder, so he worked on building sites from the age of around 15. And initially, my mom was a nurse, but then she went into working with children. 
life was was tough for us all the time um and we didn't have a great relationship my brothers and i didn't have a great relationship with our parents so all three of us actually left home when we were 16 and that was tough so what that meant for us was that we didn't get to finish education we didn't get to go to university that was never a conversation that we had and we um we started working really early on in our lives so for me my career if you like started at 16 I worked in restaurants because that was the only thing I could do at 16 as an unskilled person. Um, but by the time I was 19, I was managing a restaurant. Um, and then uh, the opportunity came up to travel. So I saved all my pennies, um, put all my belongings in a backpack and moved over to the UK. So initially it was just for a year, um, but I've been here now 27 years. So that was quite a long year. Um, and yeah, it just kind of started from there. So let's jump to when you started your business. How old were you when you started? Because you, we, we spoke before we came on that you ju- you started your your business out of necessity, right? I did. So tell me more about that. Like, what, what, where were you in your life? So between the age of sort of twenty nine and thirty four, I had three children very quickly. Um, and when my children were two, four, and six, actually slightly before that, but when they were two, four, and six, I woke up one day to this realization that as a woman with three very young children, one who had quite particular health needs, I was completely unemployable. Um, it was very difficult to find an employer who would be um, helpful when it came to things like doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, hospital appointments. And it was just a, a really uncomfortable situation for me. And I thought the only option really would be to work for myself where one, I could be there when you know when my kids needed me to and when I wanted to be there for them. But also I could have the, the flexibility of working hours that suited me rather than having to ask people when I could go to the loo. Yeah. And that's, do you think, do you think that do you think things are different nowadays with the, the movement the move on you know the, the particularly after the pandemic the way this this view of flexible working as, as apart from people like Alan Sugar who clearly has a problem <laughs> with it if you saw his tweet um, the other day about calling people lazy gits for wanting mm. you know saying they're not as productive when they work from home do you think that it would be different nowadays because I'm a single well no not a single oh my god sorry my my partner would be very annoyed. Uh, I'm not going to edit that out. But you know, I'm I'm in a relationship. I don't have dependents apart from two dogs. Um, so I don't know what it's like to be uh, a female with a family. Um, you know, and all the the things that. And I I know it's a very it's a huge challenge. So I'd love to un- understand from your perspective. Do you think it would be is is it different nowadays? Do you think? And would that situation have been any different? Do you think? I think it is and it isn't. I think the pandemic has helped a lot in many ways. And you and I chatted about this when we met. I I think the pandemic's been good for so many people, um, particularly me. Obviously, it's been devastating for others. But I do think it's opened up employers' minds to the fact that there is another way of working, that you don't don't need to be in the office from 9 till 5.30 to be productive. It is actually okay to trust your employees to be at home and still get a full day's work done and does it really matter whether they do it in between 9 and 5:30 or is you know is the main goal that they get it done to a high standard um so no i do i do think so, it is somewhat easier now i do still see challenges for for particularly women i don't want to say just women because it's not but i do see challenges for women who are trying to juggle families and careers it, it it's hard it's really hard I, there are many aspects that make it hard one is childcare is phenomenally expensive particularly if you have more than one child 
um, and just really juggling if you work in an environment where you have to travel um, it's very very difficult to to find reliable childcare. and then there's the guilt you know being being a parent there's it's based on guilt 24 hours a day it's either what you're not doing or what you haven't done very well yeah it's it's it's, it's always helpful to, to hear those perspectives as well and it's I think it can only be a positive thing but I can also understand how a lot of people who are of an older generation who have grown up in a world where it is very structured it's very regimented and the expectation of a business of those business owners is that your staff are there to make your business work mm-hmm. and and not being able to see from a different perspective um is yeah it's it is challenging and i still find myself sometimes thinking no because i've been i've grown up in a certain way and the, and i and that guilt that i have about um i should i should be working harder i should be working to this set structure all this sort of stuff and actually as you say it's it's all bullshit at the end of the day because I can work how I choose and when it's best for me. It's true. There's another podcast I listen to other than yours, which (gasps) isn't as good as yours, obviously. Um, But (laughs) it's one that I started listening to sort of really early on in my business. And um, one of the things that I picked up, I used to listen on my phone when I was flying a lot. I used to listen on my phone and take notes at the same time of all the sort of little nuggets that Mm. were dropped into the conversation. And one of the things that really stuck with me was was a a quote from, from the podcast host. And it was, your working week doesn't have to look like anyone else's. And that really resonated with me because it doesn't. You're not answerable to anyone else. You're not answerable to your clients. You're not answerable to, you know, your partners that you work with. You, Your aim is to deliver a fantastic product or service. And how you do that is entirely up to you. That's the benefit mm. of having your own business. If, you know, if I wanted to go and have a pedicure at 10 o'clock in the morning, which I often did, um, I would go and have a pedicure at 10 o'clock in the morning because it wasn't convenient for me to do it at five o'clock in the evening because my children would be home then. But what I could do was put my kids to bed, you know, have a glass of wine, sit down and start working again for a couple of hours. And, and the productivity that occurred in those few hours was immense. Yeah. Um, whereas if I was kind of stressing out about other things and trying to shoehorn it into a normal working day, that wouldn't have worked for me. So. Yeah. I guess my advice would be your day doesn't have to look like anyone else's. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's hard. I don't know if you find this, but I find this. If the more time I spend on social media um, and the, the different messages you get from all these different people about what works for them and what's best and how you should work and hustle culture and all this sort of stuff, which I don't buy into at all. I think it's total bullshit in my opinion, and and I'm a human being that I don't want to run around the world going, or run around in my life going, just because I don't think you should do it like this, that you're wrong, and to sort of, because like, some people will, will sort of attack or uh, criticise other people for the way they do it, but I think we should work how we want to, and absolutely, like, for me, I know when I'm best, when I'm best, produ- you know, productive, often in the mornings, Saturday morning I got up and did a couple of hours work and then Monday afternoon, you know, Friday afternoon I took off and stuff like that and I don't see why it should be any different for particularly service-based industries. Obviously there's not every business can run like that, particularly if you've got like a shop or something like that so it doesn't work for everyone but it raises a really interesting point. So so you, 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 you are unemployable, you had three gorgeous children and so you decided to start 
working for you. T- tell, tell me how that came about. So tell us about what your business was, what you did. So my business was an educational travel business, which means that I used to work with international clients who wanted to come to the UK for different reasons. So some would want to come for a language experience. Others would want to come for a cultural experience. Some wanted to brush up on their business English. Um, and also a lot of them came over to do internship placements. So not your average sort of shove them in a in an office and make them make the tea all day, but actually meaningful internships where, you know, we would agree, uh, you know, objectives at the beginning of the program and, and we would closely monitor along with the employer how they were getting on areas for improvement and really developing young minds rather than just giving them tasks to do. Amazing. So that it started quite by accident, actually. Um, it started with um, a conversation and a coffee. So um, through a, a friend, I met an Italian woman who was over in the UK on holiday with her three children. I think the oldest was 11 at the time. And she and I happened to meet and we, we were having a coffee and she said, I said, obviously, you know, what are you doing here? Are you here on holiday? And she said, oh, my, my son is here for a language program. But it's just been a nightmare and she started to go through you know all of the issues that she'd had with the language school that the accommodation was completely inappropriate for him that the the host family wasn't really engaging with him he was shoved in a tiny room with four other students the whole experience was just really negative and she went on to tell me that she had her own English language school in Italy and how she really wanted to try and promote these sorts of cultural experiences for her students but didn't have anyone that she could work with over here that she could really trust to make sure the program was delivered effectively and and, and you know in a, in a beneficial way for them and so as we were talking and as she was sharing this information I was sort of sitting there scratching my chin thinking hmm, I could do this there are so mm. many elements of what she's describing that are, are purely logistics based and, and that's obviously where my, my strong point lays and I went away and did some sums and put together some ideas and the following summer we had our first test case so we brought over a group of students of varying ages. We put together an English language program for them. We put together a, a really meaningful social program. We uh, curated some amazing host families who were genuinely, you know, invested in giving these children a, a really amazing experience. Um, and that was it. And then that was the first year. From the first year to the second year, we had a 90% return rate on students. The second year to the third year, we had 65% of the original students came back again. Um, and so on and so on. So uh, the benefit of that was being able to, to work in Italy for 10 years, which is nice. not a bad thing, is it? Yeah, I love Italy. So I've got some questions around that sort of journey because I'm always fascinated to hear how people start their businesses. And I'm very much like, I just want to get going and uh, I'm very impatient. Um, so uh, what's clear to me is that it partly well not partly it was it was like kind of luck slash opportunity in terms of meeting this person right you know had you have not met this person would your business have started good question i don't know i think i'm a firm believer that we make our own luck and i think if you open yourself up to opportunities and opportunities present themselves to you Mm. and whatever they are i think that if an opportunity a similar opportunity have come up with something different would i have run with that probably Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's about being open and being receptive and thinking about your skill set as a whole and not really niching it down too much. 
one of the things I talk a lot about with the work that I do now is um, is putting the client at the center of your business. And, and really, it sounds, again, so cheesy, but it's absolutely true. For me, it's all about the client or the customer. It's about fulfilling a need that they have. It's it's putting them first and not thinking, you know, I'm, I sell pineapples, therefore I want to sell my pineapples. It's about thinking about your customer. What do they want? What do they like? What, you know, what gets them excited? What makes them cross? And how can I fix that problem? And then from there, generate either your product or service, but not the other way around. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's the the thing that I really heard in what you shared was around there was a need, there was a problem that needed solving, and you were able to come in. I asked that question about that kind of, and I about that sort of chance, I guess, chance meeting of this person, but you've got to be receptive because someone who isn't interested in running their own business or doing that kind of work wouldn't even think about no it just would have been a coffee exactly Mm -hmm. so so that's interesting and then it so i guess it took you a year really before you the business you were you know in that sort of um discovery phase research phase understanding phase which took about a year i'd say so Yeah. yeah about a year and then after a year we we you know set up the company properly we became a limited company we appointed an accountant we did all of the things you're supposed to do um and then that was it really it was just a case of listening to the market i spent a huge amount of time in italy talking to people um Mm. having lots of coffees you know learning more about about them about italian people how you know how they feel they're very family centered so how do they feel about their children what's important to them you know what what's what's on their list of sort of top three priorities in terms of their their children's education and and journey into adulthood and it's through having conversations like that that I really understood what my clients wanted and I was able to really niche down and create a, a product that, that was a high-end product but specifically catered to those needs and those wishes that they had. Amazing. And yeah, that's that. I interviewed someone um, last at the end of last week who had closed their business after 13 years and they were telling me about the story of how they started and they had a, a sandwich manuf- they were a sandwich manufacturer and they were saying that they sat outside um, like uh, hot offices and sandwich shops to count the amount of people going in. Like that level of research, that's what we did when we opened our retail location for, the, for our bakery. Um, I went and sat in cafes and counted how many people walked through the door and what they were buying and all this sort of stuff. And I think that's a really critical step is to really understand your target market. And I've noticed this morning while I was, I was on my way here, I can't remember what jogged me, but... I don't know if you agree, but it's so easy to get stuck into your own mindset of how you see the world and how you buy and how you, uh, what you value and what you don't. And you've really a skill as an entrepreneur is to be able to step outside of that and be able to look at it from a different perspective um, and see th- views different views. Do you think that's true or? A hundred percent. I had a post-it note stuck on my wall above my computer that said, it's not about you. Um, because it's not about you in business. It, it, well, it kind of is ultimately, but I think if you're in a service-based business, it's about your clients and about what they want and need. And, and I understand what you're saying, and, and, and this conversation comes up a lot for me, where you think, oh, but I like this, or I like that, and I think this looks great, and I think that doesn't look great. But it doesn't matter what you think because you're not your ideal client. Um, I wasn't my ideal client. I wasn't in the earning bracket of my ideal client. I wasn't living in the country of my ideal client or facing any of the, you know, the issues 
issues that they were facing in their lives. Maybe some of them resonated with me, but I wasn't my ideal client, so why would my opinion matter? Mm. And and I think working, I do work with a lot of new businesses and, and startups. Um, I also work with uh, students that are, are doing um, business studies. And one of the things that comes up all the time is market research. And I think that is often a step that so many entrepreneurs either miss out or really try to condense. And my advice is always, you know, go big at the market research. You can't know enough about your potential client base as much as you know will help you to move forward and develop yeah. your business around that. And it changes, right? It, it changes all the time. You only have to look over the last two and a half years and see how things have shifted. And it's it's so important. And a, a slightly personal question, so you can tell me to piss off if it is, and I'll cut this bit out. <laughs> but... Um, you, were you financially like how will you support yourself because that's a really critical question so um for me i'll just share my experience and th this is the kind of stuff which i don't hear enough people talking about so this is why i wanted to ask this question you know when i closed the business i had enough money in the bank to last me maybe eight nine months um i'm nine months in and i'm still going so i've managed to eke it out um is it nine months anyway how were you, you know, where were you in that position? Were you, were you working part-time? Were you doing other stuff? Or how, if you might share it. I was working part-time. So my um, my husband is great. Um, and he he's always been very supportive of everything that I do. So he for him, it was just like, great, this is what you want to do. We'll make it work. So he had a very steady job. So that was helpful. But yes, I did work part-time. So um, the other side of what I do was working in social media. So when the kids were really tiny, when my daughter was six months old, I started working in, um, at the time, the largest social media marketing agency in the country. Um, and it was a year after social media became a thing, 2005. And I was there for nine and a half years. So it was part time in the evenings and get, you know, get my daughter to bed. Um, and then I'd sit down and work until 11 o'clock in the evening. And that sort of saw me through the, the first 18 months to two years. But I remember the day when I decided that I couldn't do both anymore. And it was scary. It was really scary to sort of cut those strings and say, I, I don't need you anymore. Um, it's been great, but I'm, I'm cutting that that supply of money mm. off and just taking the plunge yeah. um but i think for me it was a service-based business and so the costs were really low it didn't need to cost a lot of money i didn't have to have premises i could work from home initially my biggest costs were travel at the time so travel to italy and and marketing materials which were minimal to start with and then increased over time yeah that's uh you raise a very good point um i see that coming up as a common question with people who are either just started out and doing what you did because everyone's circumstances are different and there'll be people listening that uh, might be a single parent and don't have uh, a partner to rely on the income and thinking, well, how would it be possible for me? And everyone's circumstances are different. And and as you say, you know, working part-time, you might have to take on a couple of jobs and run this, run your business alongside doing other, other things, which is a reality, I think, for a lot of people. But then it's that question of when do I stop? When do I stop doing this? And uh, do you have any kind of advice or something that you could say to someone about when that is? Because I know it's a bit of a difficult question, but what, do, what would you say to someone if they came to you and said, I don't know what to do. When do I stop doing my part-time job and start my full-time in my business? It is a really good question. And it is one that comes up all the time. I, the short answer is when you have a viable business model. Um, that's the short answer. Mm -hmm. The long answer is, I think, when you are in a position where you 
understand who your ideal client is, where you understand what your marketing goals are, where you understand what your financial goals are, how much do you need slash want to make, um, really understanding what your reach market is, so how I'm going to get my product or service from A to B. Um, having done that for a period of time and where income is starting to come in, where you've developed relationships with a number of clients, depending on your financial goals, um, and then at that point make an assessment and say, okay, is this a viable business model? You know, am I making enough profit? Is it you know thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent profit, whatever is comfortable for you? And then cutting the cord. Um, but it's difficult. It's really difficult because it's nice having a safety net. It's good. It's good to have a fallback plan. So if you you know wake up one day and you think, oh, this is really not working for me, I can just switch it off, and the other thing's still there. Not having that safety net is is a huge worry. But there's an element of bravery, and and there's an element of making sure you've done your homework initially. Yeah, that's really succinct and clear and perfect, in my opinion, as a response to that that kind of question for me it's all about financial planning ahead um and i'm big on finances and understanding that i sleep well at night right now because i've got a cash flow forecast for my personal finances that enables me to know exactly where i'm at how long the money i've got in my savings and what i've got coming in is going to last me because i'm in the early stages of my business and i'm in that sort of would you say squeaky bum time of like making it work and thinking it's going to happen overnight when it doesn't it takes a lot longer so you started the business i did the business is running i'd like to jump forwards to recent times i really want to focus in on the end if we can because we both we both connected over our situation was that we both closed our business recently share with me what why you closed your business what happened I will. Uh, as, a, as a kind of precursor to that, I would say anyone sort of looking to go into business right at the beginning stages, the planning stages, think about your exit strategy in the beginning. I think so many people don't do that. And that goes for any relationship, whether it's a love relationship, a business relationship, you know, family relationship. Think about your exit strategy in the beginning when everyone's happy and calm and you've got time to sit down. Think about worst case scenario. If I need to jump ship, what will that look like? In the I'm beginning, sorry, I'm laughing because I agree with you a hundred percent, right? But I know that the reaction I get from some friends when I talk about this sort of stuff, it, they look at me like, particularly when I have like relationships and stuff. Yeah. But you do have to think about this sort of stuff. You do. And I, I, I completely agree. It's very, very wise advice. It's but a grown-up approach, isn't it? It's a grown-up approach to know that nothing is forever in this life, and you everything has an expiry date, including relationships. Exactly. So. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think it's very wise to do that at the beginning. But to answer your that. original question, <laughs> um, so what did it look like? So my business sat both in the educational space and the travel space. I um, was on holiday in February. Where are we now? 2020? When was the pandemic? I forget. 2020, 2020 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So February 2020, beginning of March 2020, I was on a holiday with a friend um, in Vietnam and we had planned this trip about 18 months before. She lives in Australia. I live in the UK. We were going to meet somewhere halfway. And COVID was kind of brewing. And we were thinking, you know, is it just a bad cold? Or, you know, should we go? Should we not go? And we thought, you know what, we're just going to do it. So we went. We were very responsible about the way we traveled. Just need to put that disclaimer in there. And um, and we met up. And I remember after a couple of days, the news was was kind of unfolding about COVID and how much more serious it was than, than we were expecting. 
And I remember sitting on my bed one day in, in the apartment that we were renting and just reading the news and this overwhelming feeling of, of um, well, no, it was a feeling of overwhelm, really, just descended upon me. And I, and I could see that my business was going to close then because it was based in northern Italy, uh, which was obviously the first region to be severely impacted by the, the pandemic. And also because it sat in the travel industry, I, I was fully aware of what that meant for my business. So I remember sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, like this is the beginning of the end and crying and crying and crying. And I was what I'd how far is Vietnam? I forget now, six and a half, seven thousand miles away from home. And I felt really isolated um, and there was nothing I could do about it. It's like, you know, watching watching a car go over a cliff and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's how I felt. So I kind of sat with that feeling. We still we still had a great time. It was very lovely. And I came back and just after I came back, the borders closed and that was that. We were we were in, you know, in into lockdown pretty much soon after. So I knew very early on and I knew what the impact was going to be and I and I knew that it was going to be terminal. I guess the question was one, how hard was I prepared to fight? And two, was I gonna go out screaming? Um so we yeah, so got back from holiday. Um, and things started to happen very quickly. One of the first things I did was notify my clients that because the business was seasonal, that that summer's events were more than likely not going to go ahead. And that was um, a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. So I, 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 I think anybody who knows me knows I, if you cut me down the middle, it says German right through the middle. I am so German about the way I do everything. I'm very particular. I make sure my contracts are correct. I make sure the way that I engage with people is correct. I'm very polite. I'm very to the point. Um, so I know that all of the contracts that I had in place with my clients stipulated that they needed to have appropriate insurance in place in the event of cancellation. I mean, I know that it was something that, you know, was very, very clear to them. However, when it came to informing my clients that the, the programs weren't going to go ahead and that they should contact their insurers, the vast majority of them didn't have insurance. Um, which was really tough for a number of reasons. One was because I had a really great relationship with my clients. Um, they got quite nasty quite quickly, which was difficult for me to navigate. I'm not used to people being nasty to me. And that turned into quite a long process, which involved me having to get an Italian lawyer involved, um, a huge amount of money that I didn't have at that precise moment to, to pay for a lawyer, but I didn't have a choice. It was very it was a very threatening situation and one I wasn't anticipating. I had some incredibly abusive um, messages and emails and people hounding me um, as a result of them not taking the action they should have taken. So that I think that was the most difficult part for me. And then the feelings of disappointment came in. You know, I'm disappointing all of these people. I'm disappointing their children. Um, I'm a terrible person. And then you have this whole narrative going on in your head about who you are and what kind of person you are. And so that that I had to just sit with for a while. And, and that was uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. I then um, I had a couple of staff members at that point and they had to go on to furlough. And they was managing that situation and managing their expectations because you feel responsible uh, for them and their livelihood. And then we just kind of sat and we waited and waited and waited. We got through the first year. There was enough money in the business to kind of go through that year in, in sleep mode. Um, and then the next year we applied for some grants and that was great. That sort of ticked us over for the next season. But when we started to look at a third season with no income, that's when I really had to kind of make a decision. I put it off for a long time. I think I know now that I was grieving um, the, the end, grieving the loss of my business. 
and um and so I, I i made a decision so alex my husband and i sat down one day and i said look this this is not this is not it anymore i don't love it anymore i don't want to do it anymore even if everything comes back and we can carry on it just won't be the same for me and i i want to stop wow. i feel like this is a bit of a therapy session because i just like sh you sharing that it's like i just so relate to everything that you said um, particularly around that kind of like and what you just said made me go like wow okay yeah I don't think I could have gone back like even if because that yeah very I don't want to make this all like turn it around on what my situation is because I want to hear more about you but I just wanted to say that like I relate to that that idea that it's kind of tainted and you've been through this incredibly stressful incredibly challenging uncomfortable period and it's like it's it's tainted and I'm not yeah so it doesn't well, feel nice it no, doesn't feel it doesn't. nice. And thank you for sharing that and being so open and honest because in my experience, I Googled, what do I do when I close my business? Aww. Because I was so like in a place where I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. I had an amazing support network, as I'm sure you do as well, of people around me. But they don't know how to uh, re respond to this. Um, they say all the nice things, but you needed to speak to someone that had been through it. Unfortunately, I did speak to someone, but I Googled it because I didn't know how to deal with it and I didn't know what to do. So so you obviously went on, like, you know, and, and I'm sorry you went through that experience of, you know, these people getting very nasty with you um, because you're you're the business leader and you're, as you say, like, I, from what I know of you, you care about your clients, you care about your customers, you want to... Uh, support them as much as possible but then they turn nasty and there's this real is there a conflict like between like because you want to my honest response in my head would be like do you not see what's going on right now can you not give me a break like honestly that was my response actually did you say initially, that to them verbally? Okay, I great. did so to one of the clients I, I did write back their, their daughter had been over with me the year before um, and quite honestly had been very challenging um and i was in two minds whether or not to invite her back a second year um but when i relayed this information to her parents they they came back with this just vile vile email that was so hurtful and and just awful um and i and i actually i, I dropped my guard for a minute and i did write back and say i appreciate that you're disappointed that your daughter's not going to be able to come on this trip however um i'm going to lose my house like, the, you know, that's yeah. that's the impact for me. Um, I'm losing my business and I'm going to lose my house. That's a, that's a certainty. Mm -hmm. The house that my children have grown up in for the last 13 years is not going to be their home anymore. And that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. Um, and I tried to kind of put it into perspective. And then when, when her mum wrote back and said, I don't know why you're telling me this, it's none of my concern. Um, that really kind of drove home to me that that's not an appropriate response to that situation and actually um, just keeping it very, very professional and factual would be mm. a better way to deal with that situation in the future. Do you think? I, I, okay, I'm j I just it's a d little mini debate here because it's an interesting point. I get your what you just said and, and I, th that kind of response is appropriate. I think where you're very close to your customers and your clients. My only question that pops up to, into my head is, do I want to work with people that when shit gets real, they're gonna treat me that way? Well, and the answer is no. The answer <laughs> is no, right? Yeah. But it's not as straightforward as that. So I, I get your, 
you know, it's that balance, and I get your wanting to respond in a professional manner. And I, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a really difficult situation, isn't it? It's just so shocking because you don't. I don't expect people to respond in that way. I expect people to respond how I would respond. But then again, we come back to I'm not my ideal client, mm. and um, and so why should I expect them to respond in the way that I would respond? They're not me. Mm. Um, so it was it was a life lesson, and and I I think it taught me so much more than than that moment. It it taught me so much more about me and resilience and it actually helped me to make the decision to close the business far easier after that because I thought gosh I'm I've got this image of who I think my clients are and how they feel about me but in reality one it doesn't really matter and two that's not how they think or feel they they think and feel the way that they think and feel and they're prioritizing their family and their situation and actually that's okay and this makes it very, very easy for me because I can get rid of all the guilt. I can take the guilt. I can put it in a box. I can close the lid and I can say, I don't have to feel guilty anymore. What I'm going to do is what's right for me and my family. And that's it. Yeah. So actually, it made the decision really easy. Mm, yeah, I can understand that. And it's that, it's that, but the other thing is that it's that balance between being super professional and it's just business mm -hmm. and then the other end where you're you're you care so much about your team and people that you end up making maybe the the wrong decisions for your business and mm -hmm. it's finding that middle ground of being caring and compassionate but I, I protect yourself to actually say well the pandemic I wasn't responsible because I spent a lot of time yeah. blaming myself and then I got told by someone who was um, a coach went to me it's not your fault. Yes, I could have done things differently. There's lots of things I look back over the past couple of years and think I could have done that differently. But I gave it my all. I tried my best. And what you said earlier about um, am I going to fight this and am I going to go down screaming? I completely agree because that's exactly what I felt like um, at the time. And and it's and it and that's what I wanted to explore with you next, which is that that I your identity being tied into your business and. And that, as you say, feeling very guilty. And so it sounds like you've been able to move past that. How, how are you today with it? Like, is it still Definitely. Raw or? No, it's no? not actually. And I can say that, you know, hand on heart. It's not. It was for a very long time. And the process was incredibly painful. I had many times where I would sit and say, I failed. My business has failed. I've, you know, I've lost my business. Very negative language around the end of the relationship with my business. But actually now I am able to look back and say, one, just what you said, it wasn't my fault. I didn't create coronavirus. I didn't create the impact it had on the travel industry. None of it was my fault. What it has taught me is, one, it's really important to put boundaries in place in business very early on. Two, you cannot over overemphasize how important it is to have contracts, proper contracts in place with your clients, service level agreements, contracts, whatever you want to call them, and have them checked by a proper proper solicitor. You know, don't I'm gonna get shot for saying this, but don't don't buy off the shelf bundles that you can just tweak. It, it's really not worth it. Do spend the extra time putting those measures in place to protect yourself later on should the worst occur. Um, but no, in answer to your question, I feel absolutely fine now. No, I don't feel upset about it. I think it was a gift. I think that if I'm really honest, probably three years before this happened, 
I wasn't in love with the business anymore. I was I'm starting to look elsewhere. Um, and it, 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 I carried on out of a sense of obligation because that's what you do when you're a people pleaser. You don't want to disappoint people. People say, oh, but you can't close your business. It's so nice. And you're like, well, it is quite nice. But <laughs> but actually, you, you it's not, it. yeah, it's not serving it me. That's what I, I just yeah. to say, like, I, compl- like yeah. I, I was so there. Like, if I'm honest with myself, years before, I was this sense of obligation. Yeah. And you get sort of boxed in and I've spoken to a few people since talking openly about closing my business that have approached me and and said the same thing um and I had the same people but don't get it crazy and I'd be like well you don't run it <laughs> um, it's true you know it's so true. it's um but yeah. also the fact that you're allowed to give yourself permission to stop at any point in your life with anything in your life in in my opinion other people's opinions differ but I think at any point in your life you can say this doesn't feel nice anymore and I don't want to do it and actually you're entitled to do that you can stop anything at any point mm-hmm. you don't have to justify it you don't have to have a reason you you can just stop but yeah. you know where where is the rule book that says you can't completely I'm so on I'm so on the same page of that that uh, elusive rule book that doesn't exist uh, no you know what I mean I'm on the same page with you completely and it's taken it takes a lot of um, shifting of perception and undoing a lot of unlearning to be able to do that and people do not like it when you are like that it's hard no it? they don't people don't like no and I, I've become very good at saying no to people I say it so beautifully with a big smile on my face and it doesn't sound like a no when I'm saying it but it's mm. a no now mm. and I'm very comfortable with doing that yeah and that's what you learn, I think, as one as you get older and two as you spend more time working yeah. with other people, yeah. you learn how to say no. And yeah, and I and I assume that you're 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 much happier now that you're doing that. I you am. know, f- moving on from your your business is that what you wanted to you know wanted to do? I think what I wanted was uh, was freedom. I wanted freedom from the guilt, from the pressure, from waking up at four o'clock in the morning with crushing chest pain, wondering where my next client was coming from. Um, I think the financial burden of kind of carrying the business through the last sort of three seasons was so immense. I just wanted someone to switch that off yeah. and just stop. Yeah. So no, that I feels nice. Completely. So I can't not talk about failure and success. What is failure to you? Because you mentioned it earlier when you when the business closed, you said that you felt like you failed. Well, let's actually, let's start with success. What is success to you? For me, personally, I think success is finding a balance between doing something that I love that makes money and spending enough time with the people that I love. Nice. That's success. Yeah. And and that's very different, as you say, that's very personal to you. Um, But if you think about what a lot of people think of as success, it's not that. No. It's... Well, what, what, what do you think most people see as success? Um, so I think it does vary from person to person. I have, I'll, I'll call in a couple of examples. So one, um, I have a friend who I've known for many years. Uh, he has a very successful business, um, which uh, is all to do with sort of uh, security alarms and fire alarms and that sort of thing. Uh, he's had his business maybe 25 years now. Success for him uh, is financial security and the fact that he is not needed to run that business at all. If he goes in, great. If he doesn't go in, great. No one really cares in the nicest possible way. Um, and he doesn't actually need to be there in order to make the business function. That's what success looks like to him. Mm. 
for other people, it's about freedom. It's about being able to do the things that you want to do if you want to, you know, pop off and go paddleboarding in the middle of the day um, and still make a ton of money at the end of the at the end of the month. And that's success for them. So I think it's a very personal thing. Mm. So what's failure? Like, how, how, how do you think that your relationship to that word, has that changed? A lot. Yeah. Tell so me. I think failure doesn't mean what I thought it did. Um, before. What did it mean? For me, it meant, um, it's hard to articulate. Failure meant uh, perhaps uh, my business not being able to continue. That might have meant failure before. But actually, now, failure doesn't mean that to me. I think failure for me, again, is on a more personal level. It's about not being true to myself. So if I feel like I'm not being authentic in my life, if I feel that I'm not. Um, the work that I'm not doing isn't for a greater purpose. If it's not enhancing someone's life, if it's not improving someone's life, if it's not improving my life, um, if it's not doing good somewhere, then that to me would be failure. Mm. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Yes, of course, it has to be financially viable. Yes, of course, I want to make money. Of course, I do. I want to pay my mortgage off like everyone else does. Money does give you the option to, to do lovely things, to create memories, to visit places, to travel. Yeah, money's great. You can do so much good with money. Money's a wonderful thing. I don't know why it has such negative connotations. But for me personally, it's about a greater good. It's about feeling... Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.